Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. As we look at verses 6 to 11. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. In Wendell Berry's little novel, The Memory of Old Jack, Matt Feltner is a character in the story who owns a farm in Port William, Kentucky. He's unable to secure any help, and so he hires a bum by the name of Lightning. All Lightning really cares about is getting paid so that he can drive into town and get drunk on Saturday night. Matt, on the other hand, tries to help Lightning to think beyond the next shot of whiskey, and he offers to give Lightning a hog for slaughter that Lightning might have something for his own family to eat, that he might have meat for the winter. But it turns out that Lightning is interested in no such thing. Matt provides Lightning and his wife with the utilities needed that they might plant their own garden. And yet Lightning shows no interest in that as well. Matt takes note saying this, that at night after work, instead of tending a garden or feeding a hog or doing anything that might be of permanent good to him, Instead of even just sitting still, all Lightning would have is his old Chevrolet pulled into the barn door that he might lie under it trying to make it run well enough to go to Hargrave on Saturday night to get drunk. You see, Lightning and his wife live and appear content to live from hand to mouth in the world of merchandise, connected to it by daily money, poorly earned Lightning proves himself to be the fool, and unless he amends his ways, it will in fact cost him dearly. That's the very problem we see set before us this evening in Proverbs. One of the things that we have to remind ourselves is that wisdom is bound up in the proper ordering of created goods. What do I mean by that? Well, as we traverse and make our way through all the various uh, words of wisdom that Solomon gives, they seem to circle around two major issues that are central to the lives of all of us. Work and the family. All of those things that the Lord Himself had instituted in the creation week. Work and family, all of these things as they are called to us to be properly directed under the fear of the Lord. And to treat either of these matters with great disdain, according to Solomon, is a great act of impiety. It is a forfeiture of our duties. 
God has given us this book to teach us how to order our lives aright, even in our daily labors. And so our passage tonight warns of the folly of laziness and the disaster that is born from a life of idle living. I'd like us simply to consider two things this evening. First, I'd like us to consider the matter of laziness. You see that in verses 6 to 8. And then finally, the matter of poverty in verses 9 to 11. I don't know how many of y'all recall an old TV show. I remember watching reruns of it on Nick at Night. If you remember the uh, Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Um, main character Dobie, kind of a, a dopey character, had a sidekick who is an even bigger dope, Maynard G. Krebs. If you've seen the show, you remember that character perhaps from something more famous. He was the same character, Bob Denver, who played... Uh, Gilligan on Gilligan's Island, and Maynard G. Krebs is that quintessential lazy man. In fact, he's a man who is so lazy that, uh, and a man who had abhorred all the, the conventional norms of society so much that even the mention of work would cause him to pass out. I think when it comes to television, it makes for pretty hilarious programming, but when it comes to real life, it spells certain disaster. Proverbs warns against such men and here actually calls such men to account to rouse them from their slumber before it is too late. Were we to do a word study of that word that we find here, that word sluggard, the lazy man, a word that in Hebrew only occurs in the book of Proverbs and nowhere else, although conceptually I think we could find it in other places. The word itself only occurs Uh, in Proverbs. And yet, when we find its appearance in Proverbs, we find that it occurs 14 times in Proverbs. Perhaps Solomon is trying to say something to those who have ears to hear. Time after time again, the same warning attends that for the sluggard, it is a lifestyle that incurs shame, with a way that ends in death. And here we happen across the very first mention of the sluggard in Proverbs, and here Solomon gives the warning. He calls the sluggard to consider his ways and even directs his attention to the created order that he might hopefully gain some wisdom. So something very simple, consider the ant. I don't know if any of you have ever had an ant farm. Look at the way in which all the little ants go marching uh, one by one in a row. Uh, You see that there is no supervisor, there is no assistant manager with a bullhorn having to tell them what to do. Rather, the ants know what to do. Here we find that uh, among the, the smallest insects known to man, here is an insect that knows more about work than the sluggard. Not simply regarding the fact of work, but also the manner of work. Here Solomon draws our attention to two particular features of labor. First is the matter of responsibility, and then secondly, the matter of diligence. Here is the responsible ant, a worker that does not need to be supervised. I remember, I think I mentioned that this morning, that I used to work uh, security in college. And I had a supervisor 
who didn't know how to supervise, but he also didn't know how to work. It was very frustrating. But here we find it's not the case with the ant. There isn't an ant who is called in sick, as it were, so that he can spend the day watching reruns of WKRP in Cincinnati. There is no manager breathing down his neck to do the work. The ant simply does the work. There is a responsibility that the ant has taken that serves as a model for imitation to the lazy man. The second feature, of course, is that of diligence. As we see here is an ant that sees the job through to the end. Here, Solomon seems to mix the metaphors as uh, here is one who works from seed time to harvest. There is a consistency to its labor. It does not uh, show up as a go-getter one day and then completely spazzes out on you the next. There is a steady dependability seen in the ant that is unknown to some men. Not only is it frustrating for the one who has to abide by the sluggard, here Solomon is more concerned with the consequences of such a lifestyle. Uh, it's the consequences that spell sudden doom. You see that here in verses 9 to 11. I remember when I was in junior high school, as my dad would go off to work, and of course I, uh, over the summers, didn't have to uh, be in class. I found myself sleeping in later and later and later as the weeks dragged on, where there were times where I'd wake up, it'd be two, three o'clock in the afternoon. I remember my mom would always try to wake me, saying that there were chores to be done, and what was it that I'd do? I'd, I'd try to throw the blanket over my head and say, just five more minutes, mom. Just five more minutes. I remember we'd have these massive oak trees in our backyard, and as the, the summer would turn to autumn, there was a particular job that I was tasked with doing, that was raking up all the leaves from all the oak trees. Now I remember every Saturday I'd tell my dad, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Yeah, I'll get to it. The days turned to weeks. The weeks turned to a few months to where finally my dad would uh, come in. This happened, I can't remember how many years this would happen, where it became almost a joke, at least from his perspective. Uh, to finally, he'd wake me up and say, oh, you've got to go do it now. You can't, you're not doing anything else to go and do this. I go and get the job done, and it'd take eight or nine hours, but it's something that I procrastinated and delayed for far too long. That's a repeated feature that we see in the book of Proverbs, that it is the lazy son who brings shame to his father, and it is the lazy father that spells death for his family. There are great consequences that attend lazy behavior. And here wisdom begins to prod and probe with a nagging question, how much longer are you going to sleep in? As five minutes gives way to ten, and ten minutes gives way to half an hour, and before you know it, the whole day is spent. The seed has not been sown, and now there is no harvest to gather. Winter is come, and now you will starve. I think it's in one sense, harder for us to imagine life like this because we don't live in a fully agricultural society. 
You know, I don't have to worry about uh, planting enough food uh, in the springtime so that I'll be able to reap a harvest in the fall and have enough food for winter. If I'm hungry, I can just go to McDonald's or the grocery store. That's not the case here. There is a preparation that is required. That there are labors to be done today to account for your survival tomorrow and in the future. And yet, I think the same principle remains even for us who don't live in a uh, agricultural uh, society. How is it that you're going to buy food if you keep getting fired from work for not showing up? There comes a point in time where you are too fast, too late. How many parents will let their kids stay up to 4 o'clock in the morning playing video games and then find themselves unable to get their kids out of bed to go to school? I remember I used to, to teach at a boarding school for a number of years in Florida. It was a continued problem we had with some of our uh, uh, foreign, well, so many of our students, but in particular, a, a couple foreign uh, students that we had that would just stay up till five, six o'clock in the morning playing video games, and then when it was time for them to go to first period, they would just oversleep and not go, or they'd go to first period and then ask to get a hall pass, to which they would sneak back upstairs and go to their bed and go straight back to sleep. And so it was my job as the assistant boarding director uh, to you know walk in and pour a big old cold glass of water on their face uh, and tell them it was time to go back. There's a, there's a real problem. Uh, you know, I remember a particular uh, instance where the, the feature had gotten so bad with one student, I'd have to come in uh, uh, in the evenings into his room and have these conversations how he needs to be, um, that he's got a problem. And as I would speak to him about this uh, uh, video gaming problem, he wouldn't even uh, acknowledge my existence. He'd sit there and just, his eyes just kind of glazed over as he played video games, where finally one night I decided, all right, that's it, I'm, I'm confiscating your laptop. And as soon as I put my hands on the laptop, he jumps up and in a fit of rage, tossed me against the wall. Here are people who are like lightning in Wendell Berry's story, so consumed with merchandise and entertainment and fun that they don't know why work is so valuable and important they don't grasp how work is, in fact, a good thing. You see, Solomon's goal here is to rouse the sluggard from his sinful, foolish slumber. In, in one sense, he's asking, do I have to keep supervising you? If any of you have ever worked as a manager, assistant manager, and uh, you know, I remember working for Pizza Hut uh, when I was in high school and college making deliveries, and there would be you know, the, 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 the cycle of people who wouldn't last but a couple weeks because they would always show up late to work or they wouldn't do anything on the job. And I did not envy my manager's position as it was his job to continue breathing down the neck of those who refused actually to do the work for which they were getting paid. That's what wisdom is doing here. He says, do I have to keep supervising you, O sluggard? If, if the seed is not sown and if the wheat is not gathered, winter will come and you will starve to death. 
I'm not saying this to harm you. You think of the, the great scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf speaks to Bilbo. He says, I, I'm saying this to help you. As we have so many around us here in the West who suffer from a Peter Pan-like syndrome, never wanting or willing to grow up. You know, you look at the statistics of single-parent homes with absentee fathers so busy living from paycheck to paycheck, spending their time on the phone or playing video games. What sort of example does that set for the next generation? This is a great danger. Solomon says to the slugger, you need to wake up and, and learn to work before it's too late. Poverty will strike sudden and it will strike hard. You might be able to sleep in now, enjoying the fruit of the past labors of others, but there will come a day when you will not be able to ride that gravy train any longer. You might have plenty today, but like a thief in the night, one day you will wake up and you will find that everything is gone. Solomon is, again, driving home the importance of honest work. I think there's a modern tendency for us to see work as a bad thing. But in fact, what we need to recognize, even according to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, is that work is, in fact, a very good thing. Work is not a product of the fall. We don't work as a, a, a result of the curse You recall the Lord had put Adam and Eve in a garden and given them instruction to cultivate that garden long before the fall ever happened. The curse that fell upon mankind was not that he had to work. Rather, the curse was the the labor and toil, the hardships that now attended work in a fallen world. But that does not mean that work itself is a bad thing. In fact, we see a particular pattern that is set out in the opening uh, page of Genesis itself, that God works six days and rests for one day and now calls the human race to follow and imitate Him in that same pattern of work and rest. In fact, such is the nature of the fourth commandment. What is the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And yet, we're reminded that that's not the fullness of the commandment, is it? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and then six days shall you labor and do all the work therein. And the seventh shall be a day of rest to the Lord your God. Rest is a good thing, but so also is work. In fact, to rest properly requires proper work. To work well, we're given rest. They both work together. They both work in tandem. I think when it comes to training our children, it's critical that we instill the value of hard, honest work. And what Solomon is getting at is to repudiate this biblical pattern is as foolish as it is to reject any of the other nine commandments. Here's the path of wisdom. Here, Solomon is teaching us how to observe, in one sense, the fourth commandment by giving diligent attention to what we should be doing six days out of the week. In fact, when we make it to the New Testament, we hear the same command repeated 
over and over. Whatever it is that you do, whatever your vacation, uh, vacation, whatever your vocation, whatever it is that you do, even in terms of eating or drinking, we are to do it all to the glory of God. It's a great work, a great task that the Lord has given each one of us, whether we are uh, musicians or teachers or pastors or woodworkers, professors, builders. These are all good things. They're intended to be good things. You know, when Paul, in writing to the church of Thessalonica, he actually has to address the matter of lazy Christians. And he has to say to them, oh, this, this laziness, these are things that should not be. First Thessalonians chapter 4, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul has to reiterate this same point, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this particular order, that if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. Just as we considered um, the, the matter of protecting and caring for our family with honest labors in the first five verses last week, so we see this same thing of honest work being presented to us this week. According to Paul, honest labor is an important facet of Christian discipleship, just as is any other feature of the Christian life. As he writes to the church of Ephesus, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing his, with his own hands that what is good, so that he will have something to share with those who have need. In one sense, we are called to work that we might have a surplus that we might give to those uh, who are in great need. Work is good. And in working, we are called to imitate our Creator and re Redeemer, to be renewed in the inner man by the work of the Spirit and the image and likeness of Him in whom is found all the treasures of wisdom. And yet, even as we consider our earthly labors, we would be remiss if we did not apply this to our spiritual labors as well. What is it that our Savior says in the Gospel of John? To labor for the food that does not perish. To work for that food which gives way to everlasting life. And the disciples ask, they say, well, what is this work? What is the work that God requires? And Jesus, the work is this. To believe on Him who has sent the Son I think it's just as important that we need to be diligent to put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we not develop a lazy faith, as it were. But that as we are called to imitate our Savior in all things, that we don't do, that we, we don't forget our daily duties 
at the expense of the quote-unquote spiritual duties, but also that we don't become so earthly-minded that we grow negligent of our spiritual duties either. Both are important. It's a good thing to work. I think some some of us might think, well, I can't wait to uh, stop working so I can attend to my real spiritual duties. And in one sense, of course, I think all of us long for that time for communion with the Lord. But to recognize that God has given us these things to these honest labors, these vocations that He has uh, placed each of us in, in His own wisdom and skill, He's given to it, it to us as a great gift. We should not see it as a burden. Though it might be attended by uh, many burdens that come as a result of living in this estate of sin and misery, work itself is a great good. And so we are called in all that we do to glorify God in the particular spheres and vocations that He has planted us. Wisdom calls us to consider the ant and to do the same to the glory of Him who made us and has called us to follow Him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank You for the good work that You have given us to do. Not only as citizens of earth, the great work that you've called us to as citizens of heaven. We pray that you would grant us the strength and the grace to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be diligent to attend our daily labors as well as our spiritual duties, that we would not neglect one to the exclusion of the other, but that we would live quiet and disciplined lives in humility and service to the one who has redeemed us body and soul, this precious blood. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.